the Digitae podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm senior media editor at Digitae. And I'm Keely Barber, media editor at Digitae. Kaylee, you had the interview this week and you spoke with Gina Joseph, who is the chief strategy officer at VentureBeat. Why do you want to have Gina on the show? So she just uh, was recently promoted to chief strategy officer. So I wanted to talk to her about what exactly that role looks like in a media company, because I feel like, you know, these kind of C-level jobs can be a little broad, especially with how much um, revenue teams are starting to blend together. The lines are starting to blend together a little bit. Um, and, you know, the ways in which publishers are are growing have been very focused on diversified revenue. But now with the importance of first-party data, a lot of those teams need to work together. So I was really curious to hear about the role of chief strategy officer, how it's going to work and how it's going to really use all those different elements to strategize for growth um, in this current economy. Got it. And any priorities that Gina called out for her at the moment? Yeah. So she's been at the company for about five years. And um, at the beginning of the conversation, we really talk about how she established the VB Lab, which is, it sounds kind of like a branded content studio, but it's really just the division of of sales and advertising and and branded products um, and all of the like sponsor oriented content. It's really kind of an umbrella way for the sales team to think about um, how ad revenue fits into the business. So she kind of explains it as like this high touch approach to working with clients, making sure that events get factored in, digital gets factored in, and it's not kind of like a cookie cutter templated approach to selling an advertiser based off of like, um, I think she says, uh, what's off of a media kit, right? It's kind of being very custom and and deliberate with each advertiser. We talk about that, but then within that conversation, we really kind of dive into events. And I know last week we had the live podcast um, with Lindsay Abramo from Leaf Group talking about consumer events and adding advertising to the mix there with VentureBeat being very B2B focused. The conversation around events was a bit different and, you know, also very interesting. So a lot of what she says with events is it's these events that she does with advertisers and and works, you know, with their sponsorship goals are very kind of performance oriented and lead gen oriented. And back in the pandemic, um, in the early, you know, years of the pandemic, the role of virtual events was really critical in that. Now we talk a lot about how that mindset and how sponsors are still really eager to find new leads, like how that kind of like dovetails back into their live events business and returning that into in-person and connecting that with the various parts of digital. So we talk about events again in this episode, but it's a very different kind of lens through which we talk about it. And then of course, talking about her role and and how she's been, uh, you know, focusing on DE&I initiatives within VentureBeat. Um, Yeah, it was a really kind of comprehensive conversation and really interesting. I was going to say, I'm excited <laughs> to hear more. Thanks, Kayla. Thanks, Tim. Gina, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Kaylee. How about yourself? Doing good, doing good. It's uh, now officially Q2, can start all the Q2 reporting. But um, before we do that, it's always great to touch base with various publishers to get a feel of how 2023 is going and, uh, you know, 
I, I'm curious to hear how how VentureBeat's doing in that narrative. But um, before we get into that, I wanted to have you on the podcast because you have exciting news. You were just promoted to Chief Strategy Officer of VentureBeat. And so I definitely want to talk about your role, your new responsibilities, but also it'd be great to have an overview of what VentureBeat is and give our audience a little bit of background on, on your role or how long you've been with the company because it's been a while. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Kaylee. And it's such a pleasure to be here. I'm a fan of Digiday. I love reading your content um, and I'm excited to to talk about um, what's happening in the industry. So, um, and, you know, I've been at VentureBeat for about um, five years now and have been in the publishing industry for 17 years. Um, and VentureBeat covers transformative technology. We're a media company um, that offers both offline and online um, ways for our audience to engage with our content. Um, and, and, and we have two kind of business units where VentureBeat focuses on, you know, all things AI, data tech strategy, and transformative tech, right? We're helping executives and, and technical business decision makers understand how to make smarter, better decisions. Um, and on the GameSpeed side, um, we're covering the gaming industry um, and have been, um, you know, doing really, really instrumental in terms of um gathering a very strong, loyal community within the gaming industry who are really committed to the news that we bring um, on that end. Sounds like it is leaning a little bit more in like the B2B side, industry kind of focused uh, news coverage, which I think is a very interesting part of the media business, like that kind of business side of advertising and events and things of that nature. And, you know, a, a decent amount of what we talk about on the Digiday podcast is, yes, very inside ballpark, but it's also generally, I think, a little bit more consumer focused as well. So eager to talk about how um, some of these larger macroeconomic trends that you're, that the industry at large is dealing with kind of impacts, you know, the more industry focused um publications as well. So lots to cover in this episode. We'd love to start out with your promotion though and, and your new role, what all your responsibilities are. Because I feel like chief strategy officer could be a broad concept um, or a very narrow one, depending on, you know, the company that you're you're at. Yeah, thank you so much. So um you're you're exactly right. And chief strategy officer can mean different things for large corporations to to you know the smaller startup. Um, uh, companies and um, you know my role in the publishing and media industry has always been focused on driving digital strategy and innovation. And you know when I first started in the publishing industry, um, it was when um, Facebook was exclusive to college students and we were still doing traditional media. So I was always tasked with um, you know how to drive and bring in new revenue streams and how do you adapt to the change needs of the marketplace, right? So what is the strategy to um, building the right platform for consumers and readers to engage on mobile versus desktop? What is the strategy with social and how do you continue to change, um, you know, your business strategy and your product to adapt to the change needs of your consumers and marketplace? Um, so I've been fortunate enough to always have been, been in a role where I've had the pleasure of collaborating cross-functionally with all departments, marketing, sales, editorial, um, and um, and in that capacity, you know, that's where I've kind of naturally gravitated towards focusing in on strategy. And so it's in at VentureBeat, I'm specifically focused on, um, you know, overseeing um, alongside the leadership team strategic initiatives that are going to help us uh, meet our goals, right? Um, and so working cross-functionally with the teams 
to understand um, how we're going to get there. Are we making the right decisions? Are we being thoughtful about um, our goals and our process and plans to get there? Um, on the other end, I also work, um, you know, um, with our strategic partners, and I'm very much involved on driving um, VB Lab, which represents uh, how we work with our strategic partners. Um, and then collaborating cross-functionally with our teams to make sure that we're thoughtfully partnering with um, our key clients, but also developing content that's going to be um, the most re relevant and meaningful to our audience. So um, the part that I really love about my role is the ability to work with all teams, um, but we all have a common goal. And I think my responsibility is to make sure that we're, you know, we have the right process and the right plan to get there. Yeah. And actually, one of the really big themes that came out of the Digiday Publishing Summit was this idea of kind of working, to your point, like cross-team collaboration, right? And like finding ways to, I hate using the word synergy, but finding those kind of like synergy elements between revenue teams, right? And making sure that it's kind of like an all boats rise scenario or like one of those virtuous cycles, as people like calling it, um, rather than having these teams operate separately because then there's opportunities for um, missed revenue or uh, not working with a brand to the fullest ability. So I'm curious, like, it sounds like your job has a lot of those elements to it and finding strategies that to your point, work for the whole of the company, not just like one area. Um, can you talk about how the operational flow of VentureBeat has uh, maybe changed or how you're looking to kind of create more of those de-siloization moments? Um, another, this is tons of jargon in this episode. Sorry, listeners. Yeah. But curious how that kind of comes into play here. Absolutely. So, you know, I think that... Um, what we're talking about at the end of the day is collaboration, right? Um, how do you effectively collaborate um, with with all the teams? Um, and if you have a common goal, and if everyone on your team is understanding what your what your the objective is, I always, you know, when we're in a meeting and we're talking about all these ideas and and um, you know, there's different opinions. Um, I always like to bring it back to the objective. What is our goal here and what are we really trying to achieve, right? Um, and if you start with that, then you are building a plan and everyone is also on the same page and aligned and in agreement that, yes, this is what we should be aiming for. And we're we're under, fully understanding that this is the plan we're going to build to get there. Um, so one of the things that we are, you know, implementing and we're, you know, we still have work to do here and, and figuring out the best way to do this is focusing in on, on OKRs. Right. What are your key objectives and key results and how are we going to get there? Um, but when I think about, um, you know, since we're talking about strategy, I mean, strategy is fundamentally about choice. Right. It's it's making choices and making and setting choices. And the most fundamental choice is figuring out who am I trying to serve um, and what am I trying to do here? Um, and so I find that we're most effective if everyone is aligned and in agreement um, and uh, we're, you know, no matter where, which role you are and which team, we're all going to be working together to hit our company goals, right? And I look at our customers as not our actually our sponsors and our partners. It's our readers. It's our attendees, right? Our engaged subscribers. So everything we build, everything we create um, has to put our um, clients' needs um, and our readers' needs first because they're the ones who we're trying to serve and create content around um, to make sure that we're, you know, the leading media authority in the place and in the industry 
Um, and, and as soon as you lose sight of your objective, then you can start to work on, um, you know, projects and products or um, services that really, you you know, aren't aligned to where you, you should be focused. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned kind of like shared goals um, for the company. Are there like metrics that you're trying to get all teams kind of focused on? Um, I think in at DPS, some of the um, sessions that we had, I think Forbes was talking about uh, increasing lifetime value of, you know, any consumer, right? And not focusing so much on per session value. And then the Daily Beast, they mentioned like um, their ultimate KPI is uh, ARPU and like making sure average revenue per user is the highest it can be wherever they might be on that like funnel to subscribing, right? So curious if there are kind of common goals or, or metrics that you now have teams kind of prioritizing in their business or, um, you know, are shifting the way that they think about that relationship with the customer? Absolutely. That's a great question. You know, um, this has been ever changing and we've called it different things, but I, um, you know, uh, have been a big fan, uh, and you know our leadership team. Uh, we're all working together to focus in on engaged subscribers. And when I'm saying a fan of this, you know this is some, actually something that I'd recommend for all media and publishing companies because when you create content and you have subscribers, right? Um, and when and subscribers, a definition of subscribers can be, um, you know, someone who reads your content or you know subscribes to your newsletter or your video series. Offline, it could mean you know they're attending your events, right? Um, but when you focus on the engagement factor, um, I think that's a critical piece for our industry because we're not just saying we're interested in growing our subscriber base or attendee list for events. We're actually focusing on increasing engagement and making sure that there's brand loyalty, right? Um, so how can we um, you know, increase um, the subscription, but also make sure they're engaging with us um, and you know, we're their go-to resource and new source? Um, you know, you think about kind of um, Netflix, right? And in that industry where there, you know, there's millions of subscribers, but if they're not actually watching your content um, and engaging, then you don't have the inventory to sell to your sponsors or advertisers, right? Um, and so um, that engagement becomes even more important um, to me and my team um, because I don't want people to just attend our events. I want them to actually consume the content, interact network, build connections and engage. Um, and on, you know, online, I, I, you know, I hope for, for the same where they're, um, depending on their content, on our content, um, and, um, they're socializing it and they're using it to make better decisions, um, uh, and more informed decisions as, you know, they look at how AI is, is transforming their business or how the gaming industry is shifting. So the, those two come hand in hand. Um, and if, you know, if you are able to thoughtfully build content and value for your customers, then you will get there. And it, it reminds me a lot of, um, uh, you know, I have to mention my professor from Harvard Business School, um, Felix, who just came out recently, um, you know, a year ago with a, a new book called Better Simpler Strategy. And I owe so much of what I've and you know, learned in recent years to him, um, and he focus in focus. You know, when you read the book, which I highly recommend to any any business leader, um, it it talks about you know how you can um, create value and grow value, um, and I think you know that it becomes you know I took that as a big tech takeaway because 
and every product or, um, you know, new um, plan that we have in place, I think about, you know, where does this increase the value that we offer to the industry? Um, and if it does, then, you know, then that puts us in a more competitive advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned events, subscriptions, advertising, you have your um, VB lab. There are a lot of different ways in which it sounds like VentureBeat makes money. Can you kind of provide a little bit of a, a breakdown on um, the different businesses that fall under the company and and uh, then we can maybe dive into some of those, but uh, what's the kind of like holistic overview of monetization? Yeah. So, so VentureBeat is a multimedia company. Uh, and we offer both offline and online um, opportunities for our strategic partners and our advertisers. I'll start with VB Lab because VB Lab represents how we work with our partners. Um, you know, I founded VB Lab about six months into joining VentureBeat, and um, it, it, you know, as I mentioned, it represents how we work with our partners because it it's um, representative of our process uh, where we listen, ideate, and create. Um, and so, you know, we're going to market with, you know, a term um, that, you know, the, the thoughtful marketing is, is kind of the mission, right? So we're taking the time to really understand, listen to your objectives, goals. We do our research and understanding where your competitive advantage is, where you are in the marketplace. And then we ideate, we innovate alongside you. Um, and we build, you know, um, the best partnership solution and customized solution for you, specifically for you. Um, so really, you know, good example um, uh, that comes out of our VB Lab partnership, um, for instance, Meta, Facebook Gaming, they um, partner with us on an annual event um, every year. And, and, and um, you know, that was an integrated partnership as well. So it wasn't, a, you know, a, a gaming event that we had on the calendar, but more so we saw alignment and the content that they uh, we're you know bringing forth and the content that we were going to generate right um, and um, it 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 was a perfect fit. So to go back to um, you know your question of where does the revenue come in, um, as you can see, um, it's you know it's focused in on um, both offline and online. And what I mean by that is events is going to be the offline aspect of it, which is still a steady uh, revenue opportunity for us. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an update on events because I know last time I spoke with Digiday, we talked, you know, it was in 2020 during the pandemic and we, we were in, focused in on virtual events and the new normal. And, and the update is, um, yes, our, you know, we have many partners who are eager to go back in person. Um, but what has changed and what is, is still evident is that the format of events um, is no longer, you know, in person only and no digital tie-ins to it. All of our events have some digital components tied into it. And so now we're in a position where we are talking about virtual only events or what we're going to be doing, you know, to drive on-demand views. And these are all conversations we didn't have pre-pandemic. Um, so it does expand our event opportunities on the event on the VB Lab side because it's expanded, you know, the way we work with our partners where we're scaling globally because, you know, you're offering virtual options or you're increasing diversity and inclusion um, because you can, you know, offer both an in-person experience, but also an online experience. Um, and, and so there's many benefits that come out of the, the learnings of how you now host an event. Um, and then on the online side, on the digital side, um, 
you know, that that is going to be all things content and digital marketing. So we're very thought leadership focused and also demand gen focused. Um, you know, we're offering opportunities for our B2B marketers to generate leads through our um, VentureBeat Spotlight webinars, um, through content syndication, um, through custom, um, you know, virtual roundtables where we can invite highly targeted prospects. Um, and then, you know, there's a digital and content marketing where we're doing some really, really um, cool and fun, um, you know, ways of, of building content um, for our readers to consume in different forms, um, such as branded stories, video series, um, and, and creating custom infographics. Got it. So lots of things going on in like the sponsorship, advertising, uh, revenue side of it. it. It sounds like the vast majority of that money is flowing through VB Lab at this point. Was that kind of fair to say? Yeah, so so uh, that's a great question, and, and um, I'd love to to clarify that. So when I created um, VB Lab with my team, um, you know, I was used to ha- you know coming from media companies where we just had a branded content studio, right, which represented, um, you know, and, and you'll see a lot of public major publications um, have that, right, and and so VB Lab is different where it's our branded content studio um, plus more. Um, so it actually represents our sales team. It's the brand of our sales and um, fulfillment team and our product marketing team. Um, it represents all things that we do for our partners. So, um, you know, when, when we talk about sponsorships and advertising revenue, it, that is under the VB Lab umbrella. Because when we go to the marketplace, no matter which partner we're working with, we want, we want them to know that this is our process and this is what we're committed to, um, you know, that consultative approach. Um, and, um, it's, it represents, you know, all things that we do across the board. Mm -hmm. Got it. So VB lab has been in effect for over four years, four and a half years or so. You mentioned you launched it about six months into your job at VentureBeat, right? So at this stage, how like much revenue is it generating in any given year for VentureBeat? It sounds like it's maybe like the lion's share of, of, revenue at this point. I, I do want to touch on events too, because I remember like back when Digiday, um, last you spoke with Digiday at that point, like I think events was like 50% of your company's revenue at that point. So, and obviously the, the switch to virtual at that stage was very crucial. Um, but yeah, so I guess like is the lion's share of revenue now like coming through this innovation lab that you have, or do you have other revenue streams outside of what this team does, which sounds like an insane amount of stuff. Yeah. So, so, um, VB lab, uh, represents, I would say, you know, 90% of our revenue because it's our process, right? It's, it's the process that the, the sellers will use in the marketplace to bring in a partnership. Um, and, but in terms of, you know, breaking it down by, um, you know, products and services, I you know, I think last time we spoke, you know, I said that events is um, about 50% of our uh, revenue and that stays steady. Um, we continue to see that. And I do see, um, you know, a bit more growth on the digital side. Um, but because, um, you know, when we do bring in those custom event sponsorships, which can range, you know, our event sponsorships can range from 35000 to $1.5 It's a big range. Mm-hmm. And that is really yeah. reflective of, um, uh, you know, what, 
our, our process of how we're going to put together the right partnership opportunity for you, right? Um, and then, you know, the other 50% is going to be um, all, um, you know, all things digital um, to support thought leadership, legion, and awareness goals. Um, but I'll say that, you know, almost every event sponsorship has some component of digital tied into it. Um, and, you know, what I tell our partners is that, we're not we're not just an events company. We're a media company that hosts uh, hosts events. So that means what does that mean? Um, you know, you you get press out of it, right? You get ways to socialize um, your content, and you get cre- the credibility of of being a part of um, you know this authoritative brand, VentureBeat and GameSpeed, and the marketplace. Um, and so, um, you know, event sponsorships and digital, all of that rolls under our VB Lab process. Um, but in terms of, you know, product breakdowns, I would say that it's, you know, uh, I, I like to look at it more as, you know, our, our revenue comes in because our partners want someone to work with to support their thought leadership and demand gen goals. Um, so where, which avenues do we go to support that? Diving into, you know, the world of events at this point, because last week's episode, that episode was focused on consumer events through Leaf Group and how that segment of their um, advertising business has been growing and how events holistically has been growing from ticket sales to um, like commerce opportunities and then adding in advertising to different degrees. Um, And so from a more business lens, um, I'm curious, you know, how sponsorship opportunities have been performing in the event space. You mentioned events is still about 50% of revenue. That's, you know, holding steady. Um, You also mentioned that digital add-ons are um, kind of status quo for all of your event sponsorships. But what's the, like, how have events sponsorships, which again, you mentioned also can range from a very uh, broad amount of money up to like $1.5 million dollars, how has it been selling brands into this space, which can be rather pricey? Like the macroeconomic situation has definitely put a, a put pressure on budgets. Like, what are you seeing from the event side? Are you needing to sell more advertisers on those like lower um, priced campaigns, or are you able to get people in spending, you know, just as much as they would have been? pre-pandemic or pre this current economic uh, downturn? Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, in, in, in 2020, I had shared that um, despite um, the shift to virtual events, um, our sponsorship levels and investment, you know, um, levels did not go down because the value of what we were um, offering um, did not change. We were able to to make, you know, actually grow that in ways um on, on the online side. And so, um, you know, there's things that work really well in the virtual world um, that don't work as well in person and vice versa. And I, th- and I think we all know that everyone wants to get back together in person, um, rightfully, right? And we've been really thoughtful about that process of how we're going to, you know, how we pivoted back to uh, prominently in person. Our sponsorships um, have not slowed down in that sense. And it really goes back to, um, the, de- the need that B2B marketers have, um, you know, uh, B2B marketers will always need to provide leads for their sales team. That's how they're going to survive. Right. Um, and, and the need for them to actually grow their thought leadership, um, is always, um, important because, you know, when you're not a strong thought leader, then you're less likely to engage with your lead. 
Um, and so I, I, you know, I truly believe that that's one of the, the fundamental reasons why we've been able to continue to work with our partners, even through unknown times and ambiguous times, you know, in the industry, um, because there's always a need on their end to sustain their business or to grow their business. And so they're going to look for those partners who can give them the ROI and um, justify their spend. And um, that's why it becomes even more important for us to have that VB Lab approach and offering unique, creative, outside of the box and true partnership opportunities so that when a marketer is, you know, um, working with their stakeholders to get sign off on budgets, um, they have something unique to talk about where, you know, it's, we're not just trying to spend, you know, six figures on a display ad campaign or, you know, a, a, a series of um, articles. We are investing into a partnership. Um, that is invested in us, right, and is committed to supporting our thought leadership. And here are some of the really innovative ways that they're, you know, um, they've where they've built a plan and how they're going to support our goals. Because of that, because we're focused on adapting to the change needs of the marketplace, um, listening to the, you know, what um, our industry wants, you know, how much are they ready to go back in person? Um, uh, what kind of content do they want? And just really delivering on the value. Um, we've, we, you know, have not scaled back in terms of, um, you know, the, the revenue that we've seen, actually, we saw a growth in an event's revenue last year, and we're hoping to, um, you know, at least sustain or grow that this year. How much growth did you see in advanced revenue in 2022? You know, we saw about a 30% growth in, in event sponsorships. And that's also partially because um, we also added more events to the calendar. Um, and so that, that was in response to the demand, right? So we saw the wow, there's a lot of demand for our content. Um, how can we keep the, the engagement going? Um, and so that's actually one of the things that I've um, also encouraged our partners is, you know, don't don't plan to just make a big splash at a big event. Um, you know, you have to think about your go-to-market strategy leading up to the event, after the event. How are you really engaging with the community, right? It's it's It only goes so far if you're uh, a headline sponsor for a big event and then you kind of disappear, right? Authenticity is going to be even more important. So um, offering more events um, throughout the year was something that just made sense last year. Um, but, you know, um, also, you know, keep in mind, we ha- we were heavy up on the virtual side. So now that we're going back to in-person, we don't want to try to, you know, have the same amount of events and do a mediocre job. We want to be thoughtful again and, and focus in on our flagship events. Um, so we have Transform coming up in July uh, in San Francisco, which is our flagship event um, on AI and data tech strategy. You know, what's happening around generative AI and chat GPT. Uh, you can imagine how you know we are um, a leading authority in 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 that uh, sense, and and need to deliver on an amazing event um, to give the community what they really crave, right? Um, so there's no other publication that's um, you know uh, publishing more content around AI and and uh, data than VentureBeat. It's a core editorial focus, uh, and so that uh, event becomes very important to us to make sure that we are um, <clears throat> delivering the content that the industry needs and the insights that they need um, to understand how to adapt in this ever-changing tech world where generative AI is disrupting, um, you know, big tech companies in a really, really big way. 
Um, and then we have our GameSpeed flagship event in May uh, in Los Angeles on May 22nd and 23rd. Um, you know, as you heard, E3 recently canceled. Um, and so, um, you know, that those those kind of shifts in the gaming industry become makes it even more important for us to to step up and deliver on what the gaming industry craves, which is content op- opportunities to network and engage. Um, so that'll be our 15th um, year of hosting our flagship event, uh, GamesBeat, in, um, in, in May. The 30% being up, um, is that from last or from, I guess, the year prior, so 2021? Or is that like looking at pre-pandemic levels? Because I think with events specifically, it's um, important to compare like pre-pandemic, you know, shutting down everything, kind of starting from scratch to now? Like, are you seeing that events are back on par? They're still kind of working their way back? Or did actually adding, um, you know, virtual events just help kind of bump it up even more beyond what 2019 levels were? Yeah, it's it's the latter. Um, the, you know, go, what I think what really stood out about what, what we were able to ch- achieve in the pandemic is uncovering new opportunities. So um, we've, exp- you know, since 2020 have expanded events in a way that we hadn't done before pre-pandemic. Um, and so um, we've seen that continuous growth. Um, and now it's just, you know, um, understanding, you know, really responding to the to the marketplace to see how hungry they really are to come back in person and um, and invest uh, in, into these kind of events, you know, with, with the uncertainties in the economy, sure, marketers are pausing, you know, have did pause a bit right, in, in, in Q4 and, and now. But what we do know and what I do know is it's it's a pause. And they, like I said earlier, they're, they're, they have a need and they will eventually have to, um, you know, hit the gas pedal and, and go back into the um, community and engage in some fashion or form. So we want to make sure that we're ready and we're there um, when, when, uh, when they're ready to um, go back into, into the marketplace as well. Yeah. And is that expectation that, you know, it'll be back half of this year that some of those um, budgets are unpaused or um, not sure if this is the case for like custom events? Um, you mentioned that you've done custom events with different sponsors, but, you know, is it like big pauses? Is it, you know, have you needed to move any event timelines back to accommodate for some of those, uh, you know, budgets coming back into play? Or what's the kind of, I guess like how severe is a a pause because you know it could it could be broad I guess yeah so um, I definitely saw it in Q four right when when the tech layoffs were happening and granted we you know everything we do is transformative tech right so so a lot of my partners unfortunately did um, you know have to face layoffs um, and 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 you know we were we were there as a partner and still continue to be to help them in any way that we can. Uh, and in navigating and changing, you know, campaign dates or, um, you know, um, things like that to help um, support them as they had reshifts and, you know, on their teams that affected them, you know, the teams that we worked with. Um, but we have not um, seen um, in, any severe pause that would, would be concerning. Um, and I, I actually see things picking up already, at, you know, at the start of the year. Um, and, and I think it was really just, um, you know, the marketers in the industry just, trying to um, be really thoughtful and cautious about what's happening. Um, and, and there's not much change between last year and, and, and this year. 
um, for them to continue to um, stay um, stay put. And I think that, you know, marketers are eager to get back into the industry, um, but and, and, and but again, make sure that they're investing into the right areas and, and with mm-hmm. the right partnerships. Um, so that makes it even, you know, much more important for us to make sure we don't lose uh, the focus on value. We don't lose the focus on our objectives um, so that we can continue to deliver for these marketers who are willing to spend, you know, six figures or millions of dollars um, with a partner like us to deliver on some very, very important business objectives. I think every company, you know, this is a crucial year for them um, to be able to, um, you know, showcase how they can come out of this stronger um, or and um, still deliver on their revenue and quota goals as well. Yeah. And so for your event that's happening, like, like smack dab in the middle of Q2, your gaming um, tent pole event, that one, like has advertiser or I guess sponsor appetite like remained? Like, is that one sold out? Is it, is there, are you still trying to close sponsorships, um, you know, in the, in the weeks leading up to it? I think, you know, in last week's episode, um, Lindsay from Leaf Group mentioned like one partner came in for a, an experiential campaign within I think six weeks of the event happening. Like, so things I'm sure are happening pretty last minute too, but what's the kind of status of, of this event that's, you know, middle of Q2, uh, I'm sure has been impacted to some degree by the Q4 and Q1, uh, you know, slog, but what, what's the status of that one? Yeah. So this event is in, um, really solid shape. And I say that because we are going to bring in, um, it looks like more revenue than we did last year. Um, and so, um, you, you know, it's, it's, it's in Q2, but one of the things that I always advise, um, any media company hosting events is plan six months to a year in advance, right? Um, you, you know, you don't want to be in a position where you're trying to bring in partnerships at the, at, um, the last hour, um, also because you want, really want to be thoughtful about how you collaborate with your clients to build the right content, um, and build the right experience. That's not to say that we still don't have um, partners knocking on our door asking how they can sponsor. That's very much happening in real time. Um, we want to make sure we we get as many sponsors as we can in, but in the in the right way. Um, and we usually, you know, um, usually we'll say, you know, four weeks out to the event. Um, you know, if you want a speaking opportunity probably going to be tough to get one um, because the agenda is getting full too, right? Um, So we are making those, um, you know, I would say within the next two weeks, kind of those final sponsorships that are coming in um, and um, supporting those. uh, And it's going to be really exciting because, um, you know, the events, being a leading um, media company, you know, have an authoritative voice in the gaming industry or, you know, in the AI and data industry comes with a responsibility to put a focus on very important issues. So as you know, I'm really, um, uh, I'm a big advocate for diversity and inclusion and women leadership. And so at GameSpeed this year, we're going to be hosting our third annual Women in Games event um, presented by Visa. And we're also going to be hosting a diversity and inclusion breakfast um, sponsored by Facebook Gaming um, Meta on, on day two. Um, and so those uh, exciting, uh, you know, important initiatives are going to be happening at the event and, and, you know, that's, as you can see, becomes, you know, really valuable for partners to want to be associated with a brand in an event um, that takes, takes time to focus in on some of these important um, issues and topics um, where we have a lot more work to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely want to dig in further there because um, you're Appointment also represents a big, you know, moment for DEI. But before that, just 
because you had mentioned like that timeline of a year to six months out from an event, you want to be, you know, selling a lot of those like headliner kind of sponsorship spots. Have you had any issues with like keeping that revenue in, you know, a year in? So like your, um, your event that's taking place, I think you mentioned in July, like that one, like, are you having people come back to you now? Like, like, oh no, like we signed too big of a partnership and now like the economy and is, is crap and our budget is getting yanked out from under us. Like, has that kind of come into play at all? Or have you been able to like sell big sponsorships early on the last year when things were looking brighter and face like no kind of repercussions? Because one publisher mentioned, and this is more for like the digital side, but they mentioned that like advertisers are willing to take cancellation fees left and right for them. Yeah. No, we, we are not experiencing that. And um, I think that it comes down to, uh, you know, the process that we have with our partners where if they are coming in and, you know, as a sponsor, especially in a big way, um, it's very collaborative where they, where they know exactly what they're investing into and, and they're committed to it and they see the importance and value in it. So um, we probably saw, you know, that um, more of, of, of that kind of communication during the pandemic where, you know, the advertisers d- didn't know what a virtual me- event meant and, you know, reached out to us and say the events are canceled. So what's going to happen here? So we did a really good job, I think, you know, an outstanding job in, in, in keeping those sponsorships in and, and showcasing the value. Um, but no, you know, we're, we're not um, uh, experiencing that to that degree at all. Um, and and um, it also it probably comes back to the fact that there's not a um, no one else is really doing what we're doing right in terms of hosting um, the kind of events that we do, which are executive focused um, and um, the, the are very, very focused content around AI data in the gaming industry and transformative tech. Um, so there's, you know, this is, um, you know, when you when you create enough value and a big need for your partners to be there then um, they stay committed to that, right? Um, so anytime I think um, a media company or events company is experiencing that, I would I would advise and say, take a look at, you know, why they're pulling out or they, do they not see enough value that they feel like they can pull out and what would affect their outcome for the year, right? Um, so those are things that uh, become even more and more important when, um, if we do face uh, a, um, a state where marketers are going to have to pull out if the economy gets worse. Um, you you have to be prepared to make sure that you um, are justifying the value in terms of your partnership and what you're offering um, so that you can prevent being in that kind of position. Getting back into that diversity and inclusion conversation, you mentioned that your role is, I think it's the first time that a woman, um, Afghan-American, is holding a C-suite level role at a publishing company in the U.S. Is that, did I remember that correctly? It is. It is um, so humbling, um, and, you know, to think that um, uh, I am the first, but it also, you know, obviously makes me feel like, um, you know, a bit uh, that we obviously need to do more work here, right? Um, because I shouldn't, shouldn't be the first and only. Um, um, but firstly, I want to, you know, express the gratitude that I have, um, to, to get here, um, and, 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 uh, the opportunities that I have to, um, you know, to get here. Um, but, uh, what I'm very committed to and what I hope, um, uh, comes out of this, um, milestone, um, that I was able to achieve is open the door and pave the way for other women leaders, 
um, and those, you know, with a diverse background um, to be able to move up the ladder, break the grass ceiling uh, and continue to to thrive. Um, and so, um, you know, as you know, in Afghanistan, um, you know, girls are forbidden from getting an education, which is absolutely um, you know, wild to me to even think that that would be the case in this day and age. Um, you know, my parents, when they were in Afghanistan, they, um, n- none of, none of what they had, what we see now is what they experienced at that time. Um, it was very, um, you know, a uh, forward thinking company, um, uh, country at that time, um, where, you know, you could wear, um, short skirts to school and you could, I mean, my mom actually worked for a media company in Afghanistan. Um, she worked for a television company. Um, and so, um, to, to comprehend and see what's happening in there now, um, is, is hard to digest and, um, and I, you know, I, I think about, you know, what we can do as leaders um, to help make a difference. Um, you know, when I went to uh, Harvard Business School's general management program a few years ago, um, you know, I had the honor of attending the program and, and graduating and becoming an AHBS alum. Um, that program was truly transformational to me because a lot of what we talked about was what it meant to be, what it means to be a leader. I mean, we would go into an accounting class and and have a case study, but it would tie back to leadership um, and, um, you know, company culture and, um, you know, what you're doing to make a difference and how you're making decisions. So when I think about diversity and inclusion and, um, you know, the, the opportunities that we have as leaders to use our platform to help pave the way for others um, who don't have an easier opportunity to get there. Um, you know, it's our responsibility to do that, right? To to voice that, to make sure our our um, co- corporations and businesses are being inclusive in their hirings, uh, and in promotions, and in their decisions, and that we're um, using our voice to help those in need, but also you know make our own country a better place as well in terms of how we're supporting um, women and and those with diverse backgrounds. I think one of the things that unfortunately typically happens when there's rounds of like cost cutting and hiring freezes and and things of that nature is that companies kind of lose sight of some of those um, community building culture, you know, moments that when we moved remote, like my company is still remote, but when we moved remote, like there was a lot of loss of company culture. And then with like cutting costs, not hiring. And, and, you know, there's another round of uh, cost cutting that's kind of hitting the industry now. I think there's this like loss of focus around, you know, DE&I and, and, uh, you know, celebrating, you know, the, the people that make companies still operate even when, you know, you can't hire. And so it is, I think, to your point, very important to remember that there are ways to still, you know, practice diversity and inclusion within companies, even if hiring isn't, you know, the only way to do it, right? Like promoting people equally, having like, you know, equitable pay. But I think also just like having areas within a company to look at like leadership development and career development and making sure it's like offered across the the industry. And so I think, you know, it's something that Digiday has reported, you know, a lot over the past few years, but there are, I think, issues with when it comes to like economic downturns and and you know cost cutting moments that lose lose sight on on some of those really important things that you know the U.S. based companies do have. 
the luxury or the privilege of having. Um, reiterating your point, yes, I think it's important that you know companies still keep that in mind right now, especially in media, when you know it's it's not something that is guaranteed at all parts of the world. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and you know, given the industry we're in in media, right, where we're creating content um, and we're influencing, right. Um, uh, business leaders and inform and in, in, in how they make decisions. Um, every media company becomes even more responsibility uh, ha- has a bigger responsibility to increase their inclusivity, so that um, you know you're not biased biased in your content, right? Um, my you know other pro- my, one of my other professors, Rari, um, who um, you know taught us a lot about you know the macroeconomic environment. He um, he mentioned the term epistemological fragmentation. Um, and boy, I was like, first thing I thought I was like, that's a long word, <laughs> but he, you know, then he explained, um, what it is and why we're talking about it. And, um, it goes back to the concept of, um, you know, why we don't know what we don't know. Right. And we only know what we know because of what we're exposed to. Um, and that becomes really powerful in the sense of, you know, if you think, if you tie it back to the media company, Right. Um, the co- the content that we publish um, is influencing a specific community, and it's only inf- influencing the community that has access to it, right? So news is, um, you know, as you know, um, can be really powerful and 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 in that regard, but it's also unfair to those who don't have access to it in in, in various ways. Um, so when you make decisions as a, a leadership team or anyone, you know, anyone making a decision, and I, I look at everyone on my team as a leader. They're all a leader in their regard, right? They're they're amazing at what they do, do, do. There's a reason why we have them. And so they're leading their initiatives. But when you make a decision, um, and that's why inclusivity becomes even much more important because your decision is only going to be based off of what you know. And I always like to build a team where everyone around me knows more than me and is smarter than me so that we can work together to make the right decision and move forward. Um, and I will say that, you know, inclusivity, you're, you're right. I mean, sometimes you don't have the resources to hire the way you want to, right? Enough, enough having enough staff, or you, maybe you're limited in that, in that fashion. Um, but um, what you can do is think about what are other ways that you could support this and, um, you know, one of the things we're doing, for instance, for our events is, you know, being really mindful that at least 50 percent of our speakers um, represent diversity and, 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 are, and are women. Right. And um, why not make it 80 percent, 90 percent? Sometimes it's hard to do, because if you if we have an event on AI and there's only so many women who have been promoted in leadership positions and the, you know, tech world and you don't have a lot to work with. Right. So it's like a trickle effect. Um, but it doesn't mean that you stop and you have excuses. You have to think about what you can do, how you can contribute to it, whether it's your content, your events, um, your decisions, and or you know using your platform to support other organizations where they find this of big importance. Um, and I, you know, I'm a big fan of um, Netflix's culture where they're big on can't you know uh, being candid. 
as long as it comes with good intentions. So I'll be candid with you here and say that, you know, in my career of 17 years, I have seen men get promoted in front of me um, many times, you know, um, and I can humbly say that I was definitely qualified, um, you know, to, to, to get that promotion, but that's just the way it worked, had worked in our industry. Um, I, I am, you know, when I would walk in a room, um, I was most likely to be the youngest there. Um, you know, I didn't look like everyone in the room. Right. Um, and so, you know, you get judged. Um, and then when they hear what you have to say or what or see the work that you could do, then their perceptions change. Um, so yeah, what, you know, if your age, the way you look, um, um, you know, uh, your identity, all of those things can, can unfortunately, um, you know, uh, uh, play a role in terms of how you're going to get opportunities, um, you know, and, and, um, and I would say that, um, we have made a lot of progress in, you know, the workplace and supporting, um, women and, and diverse backgrounds and supporting mothers and fathers when it comes to maternity and paternity leave, but we certainly have a lot more work to do. Um, and so that's why, um, anyone in a leadership or authoritative role, or if you have a platform, um, you know, it's, it's, it really is, you know, you have an opportunity to make a difference. Um, uh, and, um, it, it goes a long way. And I have no doubt that every company who invests into inclusivity, um, becomes more productive, uh, and becomes more creative, innovative, and creates a product that actually is, um, uh, something that the marketplace wants because you are, are better understanding of the entire subset of customers that you're serving and not just one. Um, you know, my professor, Linda Hill, she said that company culture directly impacts how productive you are as an organization. Um, so when you think about inclusivity, it's not just, you know, hiring people with diverse backgrounds and then checking off the box and moving on. It's about creating the right culture that supports it too, Right. Um, and so, um, this, you know, just tying it back to why we're here to talk about, you know, um, strategy, this is a big part of business strategy. If you are investing into, um, company culture and you're investing into, um, having an inclusive team, um, then you will have, um, better, better, bigger, uh, results. And, uh, and, and that, you know, there's no questions there in terms of how impactful that will be. Absolutely. And to wrap out the end of this episode, I would be remiss not to ask someone who is the chief strategy officer of a company who covers AI, whether or not generative AI is coming into your business strategy at all, if it's being used in any um, unique or or fun ways, because I think that's been hot on a lot of people's minds, like the future of AI and media. Are there any kind of fun use cases or ways that you're thinking about how it could be applied to business strategy that, um, you know, our listeners should be thinking about as well? Yeah, I love that question. And of course, we're thinking about that, right? How could we not? Um, You know, Dean Takahashi, who's our lead Games Beat writer, he recently published an article because he, you know, he runs our our Games Beat events, the content. He's he's really the, the founder behind it. 
And, um, uh, you know, he wrote an article and he used ChatGPT to see what the agenda would look like if, you know, he, um, he relied on, on, on that technology and, and spelled it out in his article. Um, and I was really, um, you know, taken back in terms of the alignment, right? Where I was like, oh, okay, actually this could work, right? We could actually use this stuff. So yes, we, we, we have talked about it and we are talking about it. Um, we should be using the technology um, because we're talking about how the technology um, is is influencing and and disrupting your workplace. And so events is one of those areas where we're you know we're 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 testing it out to see how it could create um, content in ways that we're not thinking about for the the community that we're trying to serve, right? Um, and so, um, but I, I you know I would say that there's a lot of um, uh, you know pros and cons to to that tool right now. And what goes what we want to um, stay focused on is that unique um, perspective and that expertise that we can bring. Uh, that chat GPT will not be able to bring. Um, and so I, you know, I have actually, you know, we, one of the things that I, I want to make sure that doesn't happen is, you know, um, partners submitting articles that have been created by chat GPT, right? Um, so it goes back to creating content that's going to be um, insightful, authentic, unique, um, and we're going to test ChatGPT just like everyone else and share how, we share how that experience is going so everyone has insights into it um, first. Thank you so much, Gina, for joining us on the podcast. This was just a really great conversation. I appreciate you taking the time. It's absolutely my pleasure. Kaylee, I'm a big fan of your work and uh, it's my honor to be here. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode.